what does you know pan-africanism mean to you it being a pan-african film podcast just a just a general question like what does pan-africanism mean to you for me i come from the island from from guadeloupe uh, it's a small, small tiny island and the notion of being black is fair it's so different it's something that no one really understands here unless they've been to the country and see the difference and and so pan-african to me it feels like it's something that can be anything as long as there is a, a grain of blackness meaning original blackness in it and however it has evolved over the years in each region this seed of original african is the only thing that unites it uh, like an octopus but the head is the same but you have all those tentacles everywhere wow yeah the octopus is a great symbol i think i'm going to change my background <laughs> octopus coming at you the pan african octopus <laughs> all right you guys uh let's get into first there is a movement promoting our stories and many of us grew up with a strong craving for images we can relate to production teams writers creative heads have come together to tell stories and this podcast is their voice the themes covered are very relevant to the black community and anyone concerned by the social and racial injustices that are in place to stifle this voice the pan african voice is not easily heard and here we talk about our movies that film or doc which you heard about but didn't get to see what was the story where can i watch it it now has a voice tune in we walk you through these stories and interview the filmmakers welcome karibu sana karibu sana and starting right in the lens ready and action welcome to my station how can i help you today beautiful I need directions to Manhattan. Can you please give them to me? I'm in a rush. Ah, uh, New York City ain't going nowhere. Uh, this is your station. Mm-hmm. Your fill? Yeah. I mean, don't worry about the name tag. You are a gas attendant. Well, that is true. And the only thing you own is that silly little bike over there. And that silly little bike isn't even the collector's item you say it is. Oh, no, 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 that's It's a, a huffy. Okay, so this is Tony Tony Dunoyer. He's um executive producer of the film we're going to be discussing today, which is a feature film, a rom-com slash drama called Premium. So I'll just recap very briefly because obviously we want everyone to watch the film, but really briefly, the plot of Premium is focused on Reginald Coolidge, who's you know the the main star of the show of the film and his ex-fiance Charlie shows up at his gas station where he's working but he's actually um an, an aspiring um actor and then he realizes with the encounter that he's still in love with her after all this time apart and the only catch is she's about to get married so <laughs> Having said all of that, you know, like it covers the themes of romance, struggling artists, and it's also kind of a coming of age story, right? Cuz Cool is like living at home, you know, working at his stepdad's gas station to kind of get by, and it seems that may be an issue, you know, for like why they fell apart because she's marrying, you know, a well-to-do lawyer, right? So there I feel like there's that kind of coming of age undertone to it as well but I'd like to you know introduce you Tony and welcome you to the Pan African Film podcast episode and tell us more about you know when this was made back in 
you know, why you chose this story and how the idea came about. Thank you for giving us a summary of it without uh, giving uh, away too much, uh, I mean, too many spoilers. Uh, so that's mainly the, the A line. And the B line is something that uh, is very relevant to what we have been experiencing with the black cinema in the last three, four years. He is, in fact, Reggie or Reggie, uh, Reggie, I would say, uh, his nickname. Uh, he's a struggling actor, but he makes a point of not taking any, uh, uh, not auditioning for any of the stereotypical uh, black roles. So that's why he's even more of a struggling actor. He really wants to, to succeed in actual roles. So yeah, it's a compromise that he's uh, helping his stepdad at the station. But the thing about him is like a precursor of the time where black cinema has a place uh, more than the, the typical the stereotypical type of role. So that's the beeline that floats all along this, that story. So it's not a spoiler, uh, but uh, yes, it's uh, it's an important aspect of that film. So yes, that's for the to extend the summary. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't want to give too much away, but I don't know what you thought about it. Um, Naz, but that was very obvious, like from the opening scene, you know, like he's being chased and you think, you know, the stereotypical notions of like what an aspiring black male actor's life should be are constantly present. Right. As yeah. a reminder yeah. throughout the film. Did that did that hit home for you, Naz? Yeah, in many ways, you know, it uh, it could relate to a couple of uh, the struggling artists because, yeah, we've been down that line. I think he, that came out really well throughout the film um, without, again, spoiling too much or saying too much about it. But, yeah, I think it was great, a great story. And just like you said, has that uh, coming of age element thing. Um, I felt the same way as well watching it overall um, makes you sit down and think about life in general, you know, choices, things we have to decide, things we have to let go of or hang on to and things like that. So that was quite interesting for me. Yeah. And um, Tony, tell us which part of like the whole production process, because it was quite a few years ago now, but which, which part of it was most exciting for you personally? The pre-production actually was very exciting. It's, it's. Uh, I mean, the whole thing about filmmaking is managing the level of uncertainties that you're facing, and and as you progress, you add more and more talent, more and more uh, professionals, and the level of certainties or uncertainties is supposed to go down as you add more uh, professionals. And this moment where, you know, it's an inflection point where you feel like you have schedule and, 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 and good vision of what is supposed to happen. And then as you add more people to the project, suddenly it takes a shape, it takes a direction that you feel like, oh, uh, I didn't expect that. But in fact, you feel like you need to rely on the professionals as they come. And then in the end, you know, you put a lot of thought prior through that to prepare the road and then each one brings their own craft and their own talent and uh, and, and make it a solid uh, a solid endeavor and there is a moment where you feel okay we have a film you know and the same feeling I had I watched it recently when you asked me where, where I could find the, the link online so I just wanted to check that the links, link was working and then I stayed into it right and there is this thing you know you have good actors 
and great actors, right? And there is this moment in the film where, as you know, at the beginning, it feels like a student film with all these cuts, even though that was intentional to, to show how Reggie was dealing with his auditions and whatnot. And there is a moment where Zoe enters the film. And, and I think it's about, I mean, it's feel of a spoiler, but I think it's about five minutes in or something like that. And then suddenly you have this impression that we are in a different film now. Now the film is starting. And so the pre-production was exactly the same feeling where you prepare, you prepare, and then gradually as you get the different talent in, suddenly you have a different shape of an animal uh, and, and you either proud or you feel like, Either or, it feels like you 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 go through this inflection point, and it's very thrilling. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 minute eleven forty six. I timed it. I was like, I'm I'm I was gonna intercut it into the into the podcast anyway. It's classic. Like she drives up, you know, and and you're right. I think it is yeah. the making of of a really great actor. Obviously, you know, baby, baby, we are closed. Damn! To the last tick on the clock. Charlie. Reggie? What are you doing? What are you doing here? Do you work here? Say what? Do you work here? Here? Uh. Yeah. Well, I mean, technically, not really. I mean, I'm still acting. Just paying off some bills. It's just doing this as a, you know, a favor to my man, part time. That's all. Uniform and all. Yeah, yeah. Wow. He likes everything to be official. Images, everything, you know. Fill me up, please. I'm Leonard. Enjoy this now, lady, because it's not every day that a woman gets a gas pump by such talented hands. I was going to say, you know, this question for later, but, you know, she's she brings the show home to me, like, from that moment when she drives in to the gas station. There's that look, you know, like certain things that are only, like you said, they're not on the script and it's the artist, it's the actor that just delivers. It was, it was impressive. And yeah, the question I had was, you know, how does it feel now, late years later to see the careers of so many of the cats, not just Zoe Saldana, you know, but in particular her, you know, launch so far after your project, because this predates like a lot of her, her you know, genius, bigger projects that she followed, which gave her a much bigger audience. Yeah, I have a story about that. But I don't know if, if you... <laughs> Go ahead. This is, yeah, this if, is the yeah. place for stories. <laughs> this is <laughs> our story. You had, you had questions about it coming. So we're going to reshuffle all your, all your agenda. We're right? going to reshuffle the agenda. <laughs> so the story about Zoe, I'm, I take credit a little bit for it. But uh, uh, it, in fact, it's a common... Uh, effort but uh, we got her it's a bit of a luck piece of luck but also good uh, uh, let's say uh, forward thinking and hopeful thinking what happened is out of bad luck we had Kerry Washington locked locked in for that film for that role and Kerry is a friend of uh, Pete Chapman they were at NYU together he knew her she has she was actually the lead for the short film that was uh, let's say a preview of that long, uh, uh, longer feature. It's called 3D. So they had a deal, Pete and, and Carrie, where she would be the lead for that film. But because she was already getting uh, big jobs and she, uh, she was scheduled to film Fantastic Four 
And we had a date, let's make it up. Let's say February 14 was when she would, was scheduled to start filming. And so we had a little bit of a delay in gathering all the professional, getting all the money, um, uh, all the money up. So we missed that window. And not just we missed that window, we knew we would miss the window, right? So we had to immediately go and find uh, someone else. So there were a couple of candidates that we would be chasing. And then uh, came uh, this little uh, uh, serendipitous, serendipitous idea where I had seen Zoe in a film. My daughter took me to see Center Stage six years earlier in 2000 with uh, Peter Gallagher because my daughter was a dancer at the New York City Ballet. She loved every possible film about dance, so she took me there. And, and I saw Zoe in there, but I was not even a filmmaker. It was not even in my wildest dream to be a filmmaker in 2000. So we see that film and I'm like, oh, my God, this young girl, she stole the show. It's not a show about her, but uh, Zoe exploded in center stage. But she, it was a very small role, but she, too, she stole the show. So here I come as a suggestion uh, for who is going to replace <laughs> Kerry Washington. So we have a, a list of, of possibilities. And I'm like, we have to try Zoe. And, uh, and that was the strategy. She had been... Never the lead, but uh, uh, supporting cast in a few a few mm-hmm. films, and in particular, she, the the most recent one was one with Ashton Kutcher, Black and White, and uh, she had a very a very small role in the first Pirates of the Pirates of the Caribbean. She was the one slapping Johnny Depp when she said, "You stole my ship," uh, and that was a big moment. But it was like tiny tiny role. So, but for some reason, I felt like we have to put our focus on her. And so what we did is we con- we convened and then we decided okay let's not we, we didn't have enough money to pay big uh, big uh, fees for actors so we decided let's not hit the agent let's go to the manager and we only needed 15 days of shooting f- with her so we went to the to see the manager and told her uh, told him actually was he told him Zoe has been in many films but she has never been the lead this is the thing for 15 days we have no money little to no money and not only they say yes but they did it for free wow wow so that's how we got zoe and so uh, this thing about approaching a talent and finding the right uh, the right timing and, and 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 for some reason you know i was the one pushing harder and harder uh, not that I was the one saying, oh, it's oh, it had to be Zoe and only Zoe. I was just like, we have an opportunity. Let's do that. And that's how it happened. So uh, the fact that she said yes, uh, it for me, it was like, oh, my God, this is like <laughs> a, a dream that I had six years earlier when I was not even a filmmaker. <laughs> Look around you, man. We work at a gas station. Mm-hmm. You fix cars. I pump gas. I can barely keep my fingernails clean. Yeah, there's some special soap. In the back. Is this what you want for yourself? Look, I happen to like my life. Yeah, well, whatever works for you. Yeah, whatever works for you too. When's the last time you booked some? Yeah, whatever, man. I've done commercials. Really amazing. I would like to know why you chose to tell the story of a struggling artist uh, as a rom-com. Like, why did you decide that's the way to go? I didn't decide that, actually. We just jumped on the film. In fact, uh, at the time, we got to meet Pete Chapman, maybe end of 2004. I had a partner 
His name is Tom. So Tom and I, we were developing a film on a famous black character of the 18th century who is known as the Chevalier de Saint-Georges. So it was a big production that we were trying to develop. We were, we were young filmmakers. Tom had been to, to, to film school. I was just an investment banker who was born in the same island as that character. And Tom and I, we just decided, oh, let's make a film about him, right? So, uh, and, and we just went for the kill, like we're going to make a big production about him. So there was no way any door would open to us if we didn't have any credit before. So in 2004, we got wind of Pete's project because he had just won the Sundance uh, Lab contest. Uh, so we just thought, all right, this is, there, there is a script. This is a young filmmaker. He's, he has all the talent we can imagine. He is a young black teacher at NYU. He wrote a script. Uh, we liked the script. We found, we found it was funny and, uh, and uh, it would fit our development careers. So we just said, okay, let's, let's fund and make that film. And so that's the best way to have an immediate credit in your, in your roster. So our profile were bumped up with the production, the immediate production of that film. So we didn't choose what it was. It was, okay, Sundance was ready. Pete had just got that, gotten that, those rewards. So we just went for it. And, and so that was the most immediate way of getting a credit in, uh, on, on IMDb or on, every, on any platform. About Pete Chapman, obviously he wrote, produced and, and directed it. Um, were you always aligned with the vision he had of the story? And, and how did that collaboration actually come about? Well, it's good to have a writer, director, uh, producer who not just wants to be all this free, but who actually is all this free. <laughs> you know, Anna and I, we've met people who believe they are all free and when they actually none of the free. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and that makes it very difficult. But when you have someone who has the character, the personality, the openness, the craft. And he was also a teacher at NYU. He wrote several scripts. He had already filmed a couple of uh, uh, short film, thesis films. He, he, he had animated interviews. And, you know, you can tell that this is a guy, he's not a star yet, but he knows what he's talking about. So it was easy. And because he had all three hats and all three hats were verifiable and actually convincing, convincingly verifiable, it was a no-brainer. So the collaboration with him was extremely simple. He, he, we spoke the same language. Tom was more of a filmmaker than me because he had been to NYU film school, uh, sorry, in Columbia film school before. I was just an investment banker with a little bit of money in his pocket, wanting to do something thrilling. And we decided to develop something of a film business. Uh, so, uh, yeah. The, 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 the collaboration was very easy and Pete was, was able to speak all possible languages of the people in front of him. It, it's kind of a dream to have people with these kind of talents. You know, even with great directors today, you have some who tell you, oh, I don't want to deal with this or that or this part of the film. Pete would do everything. And with the precision uh, of someone who has studied, who studied it, who knows what the element criteria and, uh, of analysis are from every lens. And this, is, this was like a gem for us, really. And like I said, uh, 
it's not easy. It's not because you put next to your name those letters, actor, uh, director, producer, or uh, writer, that you are any of those names. It's not an easy thing. Hey, hey, Renee. What's up, baby? Give me a kiss. Do you no, no, don't hate me. What? I thought you owned this place. Well, I'm, I, I do. I, I do. found out from Keisha that you just pumped the gas. And um, in the story, you address um, like some heavier themes on um, black stereotypes. Do you think that they're still uh, relevant today? And if so, how? Well, that's the, that's what I was talking about earlier when I said we right. were the precursor of this movement, the, the more recent movement of it's actually wokeness, but I, I hate using that word because there is so much <laughs> negativity attached to it. But it was really the precursor of wokeness. And, and uh, with the B story being that very important message and wrapped with an A story that is a combination of something funny and something romantic. So, yeah, it's, it's, it was very relevant. And to have, you know, Tom and I are Black. Pete is Black. We teamed up with a white producer and another guy was, who was Indian producer. So it's not like, oh, we have to be black and black only. We just thought, oh, there is relevance there. There is enough passion and enough assimilation uh, of some of the filmmakers to the story. And let's team up with a couple of other professionals who understand that and, and make it a real story for the screen. So yeah, it was a, a story about blacks written and developed by some black people along with some professionals of any any races who had or any culture who had enough of the understanding of the craft to take it to the next level actually um just to piggyback off of that um naz i something i want to like now start introducing because of the way the conversations have been flowing in the episodes and i'm just going to ask us, you know, like a general overall question. What does, you know, Pan-Africanism mean to you? It being a Pan-African film podcast, it's just a, just a general question. Like what does Pan-Africanism mean to you? Um, it's, it's, it's hard to, uh, <laughs> to answer that question, you know, because it can mean so many different things. Even the word black can mean so many different things. And I am a black man in America uh, where I don't feel like I'm a black, an American black or an African-American. I'm not uh, because my culture is dominant and in my, in my way of, of life. And I'm very different in my perceptions of things than the African-American, the traditional African-American from the country. And they have an idea of what Pan-African would mean or what being black would mean. For me, I come from the island, from, from Guadeloupe. Uh, it's a small, small, tiny island. And the notion of being black is fair. It's so different. It's something that no one really understands here unless they've been to the country and see the difference. And, and so Pan-African is, to me, it feels like it's something that can be anything as long as there is a, a grain of blackness meaning original blackness in it and however it has evolved over the years in each region this seed of original african is the only thing that unites it but the fact that it has blossomed with so much diversity uh, culturally in every single island is something that is a global phenomenon 
like an octopus, but the head is the same, but you have all those tentacles everywhere. So uh, uh, I, I, could, I, I couldn't put a sticker on that other tentacles over there, but I just know we connected to the same head. Okay, so just to close up, actually, we only have a few minutes left here. I wanted you to talk a little bit about where we can find the film, like a little bit about the distribution journey of, of the project for the audience who's listening, you know, in and outside the U.S. I'd say that now this film is available uh, online. It has run its course. We didn't sign the best deal ever. We funded the, the, the film, so we put our own money into it, which is a crazy thing. And I wish I had a, little, a few minutes to tell you the story about that. It's a, it's a personal journey that, that's worth sharing. But uh, yeah, we invested. We really believed into the film, but also for the credit that we wanted to have, all of us actually, uh, the Indian guy, that was his first film as well, Indian producer. Uh, so we wanted to have that and to have a distribution deal. So we signed a deal that was, uh, let's say, not the best way we signed with, um, at the time, Code, Code Black was, uh, had a deal with Universal. Would, I, I forgot exactly how, what type of deal they had, but uh, we ended up barely breaking even on this uh, because there was a point where the way we, we signed it, we ended up uh, getting hit by all the residuals to the actors and whatever, whenever the film was being viewed. And we were still paying where we had, we were waiting for the net profit to show up on the other leg. So we could see the cost coming, coming and the revenues in the end were not showing up or were made, taking time to show up. So we decided to liquidate the, the film company and, and stop the bleeding uh, because it was eating out of whatever money we, we had been making uh, at the beginning uh, when we signed that deal. So it was, it's something that I kind of learned about all those uh, distribution deals, uh, all these hidden things uh, that it was not a great contract. Actually, it was a bad contract. And I know the distributor uh, made enough money to, and they, they were better off on that and we were not. So lots of lessons there. Thanks for sharing on all the, the little experiences along the way uh, of the journey. And everyone check out Premium the Film online. And uh, yeah, I just want to thank you for sharing. I mean, for me, the key takeaways is like guts and timing, right? Go with your feelings. <laughs> and obviously the timing, like look for opportunities. Like every obstacle is not necessarily like meant for the down. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, it's true. And, and, you know, sometimes you feel lucky, but you, you get the luck to come to you when you work hard and, and keep looking. And that's what we did uh, as a group. Everybody had ideas. We were pushing, you know, and, and in the end, yeah, uh, we got the luck of getting Zoe, but it was also well folked. So it's a combination of all that and, and the effort, the, the, the wits and that opened the field for luck to come to you. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely something worth checking out. Um, thanks again. I'm so glad we made it work with all the different time zones. Nazizi, all the way yeah. from baby. Thank you. And Tony out here. In the thanks again. All right. Thank you. And another one. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Pan-African Film Podcast. We are now on Spotify and Instagram. Just search Pan-African Film Podcast to follow and like us there. Our new platform is 360 Africa. That's 360 Africa. And we want to thank our Kenyan Vibe partners. Shout out to the KV squad. Last but not least, we thank our editor Ace. Please send us your feedback, like, follow, and comment.